Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, December 2nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new report from the state auditor's office reveals Mississippi is outpacing its neighbors in out-of-classroom spending. Shad White discusses his office's findings, and we hear a response from advocacy group Parents for Public Schools. Plus, bite-sized tech. And Ballet Mississippi celebrates two 25-year milestones. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A report from State Auditor Shad White's office charts education spending data over a 10-year period. The report reveals that Mississippi puts less of its public education money into the classroom than most of the other southern states. MPB's Michael Guidry spoke with Auditor White about his findings. So we wanted to look and see how much of our education budget we spend outside the classroom. We wanted to see what percentage of our education budget we spend inside the classroom, and we wanted to compare that to the 17 southern states. And we started out under the premise that money spent in the classroom is important to drive student outcomes. It's important for getting uh, the most that we possibly can out of the dollars that we do spend. And, and unfortunately, what we found is that Mississippi does not compare too favorably to many of the other states in the South. This um, report kind of dates back and looks at a 10-year trend starting from 2006 to 2016. What data and by what collection methods did you use to collect this information that led you to these findings? We actually used publicly available data from the National Center for Education Statistics, NCES, we used this publicly available data, and we just spent time crunching it and, and ranking states based on what we saw. And, of course, what we found at the end of it was that when you compare states by how much education money, what percentage of their education budget they spend inside the classroom, we rank near the bottom in the South. We rank 14th out of 17 states. When you compare how states do in terms of the percentage of their education budget that they spend on administration, for instance, we rank near the top, so we rank number two out of 17. And that's something that once we found that out, we thought we need to highlight this, the voters need to know about this, 
teachers need to know about it. My mother was a public school teacher for 35 years. Students need to know about it. Parents, everyone needs to know about it so that we can we can start having a conversation about how to get more money into the classroom. Based on the audit and the subsequent analysis you and your office are able to do, are you able to identify any contributing factors to uh, the elevated outside classroom spending costs that you see? So we, what we wanted to do was focus on what the data showed us about where the money was going and just, just try to encapsulate that for this report. What we know just anecdotally from talking to school districts and administrators and teachers is that uh, some of the growth in, in the outside the classroom spending is coming from uh, regulatory, uh, the regulatory burden on some of our school districts. So we, at the end of the report, challenged uh, all the stakeholders in education in Mississippi to think hard about are there regulations that our schools are having to comply with that, that we could unwind in order to reduce some of the administrative spending. And, and when you talk to good school administrators, they're doing that. They're unwinding those. They're, they're letting them sort of uh, evaporate when someone leaves and not replacing that person. But I think it's just easy in other school districts, if you're not focused on cutting administrative costs, it's easy for those costs to just kind of build over time and then you look up and your budget is being consumed by administrative costs and you don't have as much as you would like to put into teacher salaries of the classroom. Do you have any recommendations both on the state level, the local level, for ways to you know, rein in the outside classroom spending and maybe find ways to reallocate those funds to the classroom? I think the first place to start is our Mississippi Department of Education needs to take a hard look at how they spend money and also the regulatory burden on our school districts to see if there are places where we can cut regulations that might make it a little bit easier for our school districts to then move money outside of their central offices and and over to the classroom. Uh, This second part of the answer probably is not going to be super satisfactory, but it's just the truth. Every single superintendent and school board around the state needs to look at their budget every single year with an eye toward this question, are we spending money uh, outside the classroom unnecessarily, and can we move some of those resources to teachers and to the places where it impacts students? If you're a school superintendent or a school board member and you're thinking, oh, man, this really bugs me that we might be wasting money on outside the classroom expenditures, what I'd tell you is that there are school districts around the state so Jackson Public Schools is one, had a new superintendent who came in recently. He did a review and found about a million dollars worth of administrative waste. I'd encourage those superintendents to reach out to their colleagues who have found administrative waste and see what they looked at. Thank you. I'm gonna, uh, and I'll close with this because it, it's something in the report. And it says, if Mississippi spent as much of its K-12 budget in the classroom as the southern state that spends the highest percentage of its budget in the classroom, an additional $250 million per year would be available for classroom materials or teacher pay, pay raises. Can you make yeah. sense of that number for us? Another way of saying it is, you know, if we, if we looked at what Maryland was doing and we could mirror how they were spending their money, uh, then we would be dedicating another $250 million per year into the classroom. And if we, say, spent that on teacher salaries, we'd have uh, a salary increase three times as big as the salary increase that was authorized by the legislature in 2019. That shows you that there is real money to be had out there that can make a difference in the classroom and can make a real difference in the salaries of our teachers if we focused on that. Uh, The other thing that I would say is this. 
the number of students in Mississippi public schools is going down. The number of teachers in Mississippi public schools is going down. Administrative costs, however, are going up faster than what we're spending on instruction. You know, when we looked at salaries, for instance, over the last 10 years, uh, inflation-adjusted salary spending on administrative salaries has gone up by 10% in Mississippi. Inflation-adjusted spending on teacher salaries has gone down by 3%. At bare minimum, we need to stop that trend. We need to reverse the trend, and we need to make sure that this money is getting into the classroom where it impacts students the most. It gets into the hands of teachers uh, in the form of teacher salaries so that we can get the best possible people in the classroom. Chad White is the state auditor of Mississippi. Joanne Mickens, the executive director of Parents for Public Schools, believes this report serves as a starting point for taking a closer look at how Mississippi spends its education funding. We spoke with her about what it means for teachers and students. I guess I'm not hugely surprised by the fact of how the percentages fall out. I'm a little bit surprised at how we compare to the states around us. Which, and the takeaway is that Mississippi ranks among the highest in the South for K-12 through outside the classroom spending. Yes. So it surprised me, especially if you just look down at the charts. There's quite a distance between us and the next closest state. So that is a little surprising. So what the numbers did or what this report did was just kind of point out uh, the need to look below or beneath these numbers, beneath these findings, and see what's really driving the difference. Not only is there a pretty big difference between outside the classroom expenditures and inside the classroom expenditures, but the conclusion says that over the last 10 years, administrative spending has increased faster than instructional spending. How does this affect students and teachers? Well, it does point to the uh, it does appear, without knowing exactly what drove the, the increase in administrative spending, but being aware of the issue in our state of teacher pay, it does make me wonder if whether or not um, we have spent money in places and a better choice might have been to spend it on teacher salaries and other things inside the classroom. But what has to happen to make classroom instruction more equitable? Well, I think, first of all, we need to really look at what the numbers are telling us. And um, I believe it's mentioned in the auditor's report or in some research I was doing online that we need to, to start with what the numbers tell us, but also com- uh, do some uh, comparison to the, these other states. Are they, are they doing things differently? Are they doing different approaches? We have to take into account um, policies. But when you look at the fact that the majority of public education spending comes from the state, out of state taxpayer dollars, I think we really need to look at what the state needs to consider doing differently uh, going forward. Are we spending the money in the best ways possible? Is there any evidence or at least anecdotal evidence that having a a larger administrative staff is beneficial to students and learning? Well, I'll answer that by saying that it's in the classroom where the rubber meets the road. It's in the classroom where um, instruction takes place, where children learn, and where they have the opportunity to um, 
to learn the things that will prepare them for life outside of school. So I, I think that there's every reason to believe that increased expenditures on instruction should bring us um, better outcomes. Joanne Mickens is the Executive Director of Parents for Public Schools. Thank you very much for being with us today. Coming up after Bite Size Tech, Ballet Mississippi celebrates two 25-year milestones. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. For that drive you've got coming up for the holidays, listen to MPB all around the state of Mississippi. Going out of state? The MPB Public Media app will keep you connected to home. For that flight in your future, download podcasts of MPB local shows and listen anytime, anywhere. MPB Think Radio. Spend the holidays with us. Happy Holidays from Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Microsoft's Edge browser can now be all the different voices inside of your head. The cable industry is losing a full-sized arena worth of customers with each passing day. And finally, Google and Amazon might actually be playing well together. Finally. I'm Jay White, and here is this week's Bite Size Tech. Amazon's Fire TV Stick, including the 4K, Cube, Basic, and Smart TV versions, all now support YouTube. And later this year, the video giant will come preloaded on the Fire Sticks. The good feels between the two tech giants extends even further. Google's Chromecast devices and third-party TVs with pre-built hardware that includes the Chromecast will gain support for Amazon Prime Video. And the Chromecast Ultra will support Prime's 4K video library at no additional cost. Amazon Prime has a price tag of $119 annually or $13 a month and features such as free second-day shipping on Amazon purchases and the Prime Video and Prime Music streaming services and the ability to borrow books and magazines electronically for your Kindle or other e-readers with Prime Reading. The price tag looks steep, but there's an expansive list of services beyond what I've mentioned here. YouTube, of course, is free but offers a premium-level subscription starting at $12 a month that allows you to download videos to your device to play back at your convenience or on a flight, for example. However, the biggest benefits are complete ad removal, which I can tell you personally is worth the subscription alone. But you also get background play, which allows you to continue listening to music, live streams, or podcasts through YouTube, even after exiting out of the app on your phone. It's very useful. Also, Google Play Music, their answer to Spotify, which has a library of millions of songs and lets you store up to 50,000 songs of your personal music collection for mobile use, is included. I can personally tell you that if you enjoy streaming and online shopping, and if your budget allows, both the Amazon Prime and YouTube Premium subscriptions are easily worth the price tag. Traditional pay TV, think cable and satellite, were left by American consumers at a record pace in 2018. And the first quarter numbers from 2019 show the pace continues to increase. 3.2 million subscribers left pay TV in 2018. Numbers published by the consulting firm Informative suggest that in the first quarter of 2019, Americans are cutting the cord to the tune of 14 
15,000 people a day. That's 420,000 subscribers a month. For reference, the combined population of Mississippi's two most populous counties, Hines and Harrison, is 420,000 people. Ouch. In October of 2018, the estimated average cable bill was $107 a month. That's $1,284 annually, or 466% of the annual cost of Amazon Prime and YouTube Premium combined. Double ouch. The current number of Americans still subscribed to traditional pay TV, though, is estimated at around 82 million, thanks largely to the valuable access of bundled high-speed Internet. Finally, the Microsoft Edge browser now has the ability to read aloud text from websites in 24 different voices from 21 different locales. The voices include several female and male voices using accent from different countries like China, Japan, France, Germany, Mexico, and the United Kingdom. The voices come in three levels of quality, ranging from the familiar Robot Jones Jones. to what they're calling neural voices, described as cloud-based voices being powered by deep neural networks. Quote, the most natural-sounding voices available today. To test the new feature, highlight some text and right-click, and a menu will pop up with the option to read aloud. That's, of course, in your Microsoft Edge browser. For more tech news, fixes, insight, and more, listen to MPB's Everyday Tech. The show is on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the MPB Public Media app. And free in the iTunes and Google Play stores. And the show airs live Wednesdays at 10, right here on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The first weekend of December marks the 25th year of Ballet Mississippi's production of The Nutcracker. It also marks the 25th year the show and the company have been under the leadership of artistic director David Keery. He talked with MPB's Michael Guidry about how The Nutcracker has become such an integral part of the company's public profile. The cold, true, hard fact about the Nutcracker is it it is essential for every ballet school in this country today. When I first took over Ballet Mississippi, it was really to get it back on its feet. And I was not looking at this for a long-term job. And after the first year, we had about 40 students. And I said, somebody said something to me about having a Nutcracker, and I said, well, you know, it'd be great if we could do that one day. And that got interpreted to, we're going to do that. <laughs> One day being tomorrow. Yeah. And the next thing I know is our enrollment jumps up to 85, or 80, 85. And I said, wow, this is great. What's the deal here? Well, when are the Nutcracker auditions? <laughs> so i like, okay, I get it. And I turned to our people at the time and said, can we pull something off? And so I started marshalling and putting some things together. I said, yeah, we can do this. How has the show evolved over 25 years? Well, the first year, I think we had about 60 people in the cast, and now we have double that. But I think the main thing that I've been able to do is thematically use the structure of E.T.A. Hoffman's story and then expand on it and bring it into the 21st century. So you said that the first nutcracker of this run came in your first year with Raleigh, right. Mississippi. So not only are we doing 25 years of the Nutcracker, we're doing 25 years of, of, of you yeah. at Ballet Mississippi. How have you, as an artistic director, as a choreographer, just as a student and teacher of ballet, how have you grown in those 25 years? I think the biggest thing that I have learned out of this is how to choreograph and produce and direct for children, because I'm not dealing with professional dancers. 
and it's wonderful and it's um it's kind of mind-boggling to see these kids grow from the time that we get them at age three or five or six and now i have these kids at 15 and 16 and one of my oldest kids is graduating this year she's been with us 13 years and that happens every single year they teach you something about yourself um and I, I, it's cathartic. You know, you, you see where I'm able to guide them better because I see them making the same mistakes that maybe I did or their decision-making process is very similar to my own. Um, we all grow up in our different ways. But to be able to, you know, put these 8-, 9-, and 10-year-old kids on stage and make them look like little mini-professionals, that's, that's a really great honor. With this celebration, you're doing more than just engaging the audience on the stage. You're you're reaching out and trying to engage your audience through outside programming right. associated right. with with this ballet, blue jeans, and bubbly, right. uh, the sugar plum fairy teas. What is the origin of those things, and why are they important as a package with the okay. performance itself? Well, it used to be that we would run a Saturday matinee and a Saturday night, and then a Sunday show, and that was just killing everybody. And yet, we had a demand for three performances. And I said, "Why don't we spruce up this Friday night thing? Let's try something different." And the first year, we had about I don't know five or six hundred people show up. Now it was at a thousand last year. And people love it because they can come in their blue jeans. They can come straight from work. They don't have to worry about coat and tie. Come in, have a drink, sit down, enjoy the show. With the uh, sugar plum tea parties, what we did was uh, we used to have these Sunday events, and we'd ha- host it over at the Arts Museum. Um, and and it was decorative. I mean, oh, my God, the chairs and the tables, and it was all beautiful. And the cast goes over there, and kids get to have photographs with the cast members. So we... We changed the venue over to the Westin when it came in. We worked out a great deal with them, and and it's just beautiful. I mean, the decorations of this place are all—it's all, all Christmas-based. You have nutcrackers, you got trees, you got dancers in costume running around, you got all these kids going crazy. Get my picture with this, you know. So it becomes a very family event. It's it's another way to bring people into the theater and let them know that this is a great place to come into because. There's always this misperception that ballet is this high art and you got to go in with, you know, the tux or the tie. And that's just nonsense. I mean, it, you know, when you when you go back and you look at the history of dance in general, it was it was in the peasants, you know, and then it moved to the court. And that's where things changed. But in this country, we don't do that, you know, and it, it needs to be easy and fun and entertaining and, you know, walk out happy. The Nutcracker, on stage at Thalia Mara, December 6th, 7th, and 8th. Where can uh, people find more information? Best thing to do is go to our website, www.balletms.com, and it'll be a ticket link, and it will tell you everything about the ballet. David Curie is the executive director and artistic director of Ballet Mississippi. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.